Good morning. I want to invite you to join me in Colossians chapter 3. The passage is in your bulletin and we'll be reading Colossians 3 verses 12 through 17. I'll put before you this flow that we have seen in this chapter, a, a flow that began in the early parts of this chapter speaking to the beauty of our union in Christ. And then this as Paul moved through this teaching, he told us what the, the outworking of that union looks like. It looks like putting off the old, putting off the old ways. And, and then as we put off the old ways, we're united into this, this uh, diverse, beautiful oneness that is the body of Christ. Put off, be united put on and that's where we come today but understanding this flow we see that this sermon is meant for us as individuals but it's also meant for us collectively as the body of Christ that in mind let us go to the Lord in prayer asking for his blessing on the reading and preaching of his word father we come to this text that so beautifully tells us what we are to put on in Christ I pray that you would, you would open our hearts to hear, to receive, and to respond to this word. All in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. It was interesting seeing Adam on the, uh, the video as he, as he brought to us a message from RUF at UAB. I've been blessed just in my personal life listening to many of the, the campus ministers throughout our denomination and and I remember hearing one of those campus ministers tell a story that he had observed on, on his campus. He had observed something about the clothing choices of the young men on campus. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an observation that, that actually brought a lot of things into clarity for me. Maybe it will for you as well. You see, he noticed that these young men on campus had an issue with their fashion. <laughs> Now, not necessarily the style of clothes that they were wearing, it was the fit. And if you think about it, 
these, and this campus minister drew this out for us, that these young men had grown up in families where their, their parents, let's be honest, most of the time their mothers, had chosen what they would wear. And if you are trying to clothe a young man, a young child, and particularly when you're trying to do it on a budget, what do you do? Well, you buy clothes that are a little too big so that they can grow into them. And you keep doing that. Well, sooner or later, the young men believed that that's how clothes are supposed to fit. And they began buying clothes themselves. And guess what they buy? One or two sizes too big. Well, the campus minister began to see this and realize what was going on, that these young men needed someone else to tell them what was going on. Sometimes that someone else is the form, takes the form of a salesman in a clothing shop. Sometimes that someone else takes the form of a new bride who will tell them that the clothes they have been wearing don't fit, that they need to put on the clothes that reflect the man whom they have become. Now, I hope you know that we're not merely talking about fashion and fit. (laughs) We're talking about putting on the clothing that fits who we have become in Christ. So the question is, have we taken off those ill-fitted clothes and are we now wearing clothing that fits our new life in Christ? Not style. We're talking about putting off the old Christian ways. We're talking about putting on the new. That's where Paul goes in this passage. But beautifully, helpfully, before he tells us what we are to put on, he tells us, he reminds us who we are. It's almost as if he can't finish this sentence without wandering off into this moment of praise. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He's, he's reminding Christians who we are in Christ. Now I've got to make an important statement at this point. Paul is writing to a church. And as he is writing to a church, he's writing to Christians. And so if I am to preach this passage with integrity, I am to preach it to Christians. And you just have to acknowledge that. And I also understand and I'm aware that there are likely some here who may not yet consider yourself to be a Christian or who may be wrestling with these truths. You may hear this and quite frankly, you may be thankful that Uh, as we go through this sermon that some of the Christians are hopefully listening. (laughs) But I want you to hear whether you consider yourself a Christian or whether you don't, that all Paul tells us to do is based on who Paul says we are. That to be a Christian is to know Jesus by faith. 
and through faith to receive forgiveness and new life in him. That is what it means to be a redeemed Christian and to be part of the community of the redeemed. So Paul is reminding us who we are, that we are redeemed. But more than that, he is reminding us of the basis of our redemption. And he says it this way, you are God's chosen. To be God's chosen means that he has loved you. From before the beginning of time, and not only did he love you, he did something about that love. He sent Jesus to purchase you on the cross. He pursued you while you were yet still his enemies. You didn't save yourself. God saved you. And Paul is beginning this passage by reminding us of that beautiful, glorious truth. That he's speaking to the community of the redeemed. And the community of the redeemed are redeemed because they are chosen, meaning they have been loved before the beginning of time. And the Lord our God has sent His Son to purchase us out of our sin. Now, that truth is meant to build a heart of thankfulness. Did you hear a word repeated as we went through this text? Thanks, thankful, thankfulness. As Paul talks about our chosenness, our being chosen, so that we might be redeemed. Thankful hearts is the is the most appropriate response. This this building of hearts of thankfulness is what drives our response. To this beautiful truth. That we are chosen means that we are elect recipients of grace. And as elect recipients of grace, he tells us that we are holy and beloved. Now, let's talk about clothing. And now I throw holy at you. You may be forming in your mind a particular style of clothing that the holy people wear. (laughs) Stop. Stop. Again, we're not talking about the fashion sense. To be holy, it means to be set apart. It means to be different. So Paul is telling us here that we are to put on a different set of characteristics than the world. Because we are beloved, holy and beloved. You are holy. Be different than the world because our God has loved us. So follow the, follow the argument here. The argument of election. It speaks to our chosenness, which drives thankfulness, which leads to impact in our life. Okay? We got it. We're tracking. Now back to the wardrobe. Paul is telling us, put on Christ-likeness. It's not fashion, it's fruit. Fruit of the Spirit that echoes what we might read in Galatians 5, which clearly articulates fruit of the Spirit. Here, Paul gives it to us with five characteristic fruits. Compassionate hearts, 
compassionate heart is a heart that, that feels deeply. It says, put on kindness. Kindness is spirit-imparted goodness. It's the opposite of malice. He tells us to put on humility. Humility is, is not having too high an estimate of oneself. Instead of self-confidence, it is Christ-confidence. Now, if I might just briefly go down a little, little rabbit trail, sometimes, sometimes I've found this week, uh, been reminded that the pastor gets impacted as much by the preaching as anyone else. So I thought about this. As I thought about putting on Christ-confidence instead of self-confidence, it, it cut me to the quick. It caused me to ponder how often I live out of self-confidence and tag on Christ's confidence at the end. Maybe in your small groups. Maybe that would be a good, a good topic of conversation. How might we put on Christ's confidence instead of self-confidence? How might we build Christ's confidence instead of self-confidence in our children? How might we put on humility? Fourthly, he tells us to put on meekness, not weakness meekness meekness is a willingness to suffer injury rather than to inflict it and fifthly he tells us to put on patience patience is long suffering with others he explains that further in in verse 13 when he he tells us to to bear with one another look he's been talking about false teaching in this letter so we're not to bear with or to tolerate false teaching but we are most certainly to bear with to tolerate one another and as we do so to seek peace to seek reconciliation with one another. We spent a whole sermon on that last week, so I'm not going to retread that ground, but it all flows together and flows into and out of our unity within the body. Now, you put all of this together, and we are to put on Christ-likeness. We're to grow into Him, wearing Him Because he has already clothed us in his perfect righteousness. So are we wearing those clothes? Do they fit? Well, Paul says to put them on. To put on these fruits of the Spirit. But he goes on to say, especially love, peace, and thankfulness. Verse 14, and above all else, put on love. Is, 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 he, is he trying to do a bait and switch? Look, I gave you these five characteristics, but those were good. But here's what I really want you to put on. I really want you to put on love. Well, no. Love is, love is the summary attribute. Love is, is the tone-setting attribute. So can we talk about love for a moment? Last week was Valentine's Day. It was the day that our culture forces a celebration of love. <laughs> uh, how do you celebrate? How do you think about love? Do you think about love in the way that our world would speak of love? When the world speaks about love, have you noticed that it often speaks in terms of attraction for another? Have you noticed that uh, 
it speaks about the way another person makes me feel. And if you notice that even at times when we're not even talking about romantic love, we still think in those terms. We think about uh, the way we are, uh, our spirit is attracted to another person or the way being around another person makes me feel. Let's be honest. We speak in terms of attraction and the way another makes me feel. We're not talking about love or at least loving another person. We're talking about using that other person as a way for me to pursue self-love. But we're to be holy. We're to be set apart, to be different. Christ-like love is an other-focused love. It is not a me-centered love. It is acted on love for the interest of another person. I I spent time talking with another young man this week, and as we talked about this subject of other-focused love, I tried to define it, and I asked him to define love, and and he did a fantastic job. I offer it to you this morning. Love is an action with an other-focused care in mind. Think about that. And think about that as as a definition for the love that Jesus is calling us to put on. So do you see, then all these characteristics, there's a death to self. There's a There's a daily dying to self and living for Christ, living for others. Above all else, put on this kind of love. But again, maybe you noticed in verses 14 and 15, there was this repeat, and, 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 and put on love, and let peace, and be thankful It's like he's taking these these attributes of Christ-likeness that we are to put on and and he's putting a bow on top of them. And they're all focused on Christ. They're all focused on others. So as elect recipients of grace, let us put on Christ. Let us wear Christ by putting on love, by letting peace rule, and by being thankful. That's the... That's the positive admonition that that Paul gives us here when he tells us how to live out our union in Christ. It it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But we fail. We fail every day. Oh, more than that, we fail moment by moment. So more than telling us what to do because we are in Christ, Paul tells us how. How? tells us how to put on Christ. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word make itself at home in your heart. The word is not to be a dinner guest that we invite in and, and we enjoy for a nice evening and then we send them on their way. No, the, the word is not temporary dinner guest. The word is meant to take up permanent residence in our heart, in our lives. And so maybe, maybe allow doesn't quite get at the full meaning. Maybe 
When I say allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, that is a bit too passive. There is an activeness to this command. So maybe think of it this way. Hang on to the word of God with everything you have in your might. Hang on to the word. That is how we put on Christ. Hang on to the word. That is how we love others with an other-focused love. So... Paul, the consummate teacher, tells us how we might go about hanging on to the word. He he offers three participles. Now, a participle, if you've forgotten high school English, is simply an I-N-G word. But when you read these I-N-G words, they're, they're telling you how to do something that he's just instructed you to do. There's three of them in this passage that explain what it means to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We'll take the first two together. Teaching and admonishing. Now, teaching speaks to explaining the word. Admonishing speaks to applying the word. Let's put them together, and it really is describing what we do here in preaching. We explain the word, and we apply the word. And that teaching and admonishing certainly fits in this context where the pastor, the preacher is preaching the word of God to the congregation, but it also speaks to a context where we sit one-on-one with another in a discipleship relationship, in in a friendship in Christ, across the coffee table where we open the word of God with one another. But regardless of this setting or that setting, the, the common theme is that this letting the word dwell in you richly by teaching and admonishing implies very directly a corporate approach to the word. It implies a corporate approach to the word. You and I, We need the wisdom of others when we come to the Word. You and I, we need the challenge that comes from others when it comes to the Word. I I need look no further than my exercise life to illustrate this principle. (laughs) I can make myself feel really good about myself after about 15 seconds of jump rope. (laughs) And I can check that box and move on. And what have I done? Nothing more than a pat on the back. I need others who will help me see what are appropriate exercises. I need others who will challenge me, at times even push me, encourage me along all of that together so that I can get the exercise that my body actually needs the truth is and I'm free to admit it I'm (laughs) weak-minded so I need somebody to stir me along again simply an illustration it's an illustration of what Paul is teaching here not about our exercise life about our spiritual life if that is true of my physical well-being how much more so is it true of my spiritual well-being how much more so is it true of my time in the word letting the word of Christ dwell richly in me so think about this in the corporate context of the body of Christ he's telling us 
to welcome the voice of others. To give them permission to speak into our lives. He's not merely saying make sure you hear the word. He's saying give the word access to your heart. Do you hear the difference between the two? This is not a Jesus and me all alone Christianity. This is a corporate body of Christ rubbing up against each other with a sandpaper of the gospel type of Christianity that he's calling us to. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly together. Now we may not always like what that feels like. We may not always want to hear what the word has to say from others, but we understand it maybe the third ing word catches us by surprise in this context in addition to teaching and admonishing Paul calls us to let the word of Christ dwell in our hearts richly by singing that's right singing we hear that and we smile because it it just feels softer than teaching and admonishing. It, it makes us happy to think about singing. But do you understand what he is saying here? Paul is saying, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying that corporate singing is necessary. Corporate singing in the body of Christ is necessary. I, I read a book by uh, the Gettys. Uh, the Gettys have authored some of the songs we sing, most notably in Christ Alone. And they wrote this book, appropriately entitled Sing, with an exclamation point. And they offered that one of the best questions that we can ask as worship leaders about a song is how well did the congregation sing it? I actually listened to a podcast this week where um, Keith Getty said the exact same thing. And it's becoming one of those questions that we ask ourselves as we plan worship. How did the congregation sing that song? Understand how biblical that question is. Paul is telling us that one of the ways we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly is by our corporate singing. As we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Look, different Uh, theologians, different people smarter than me have offered different opinions on what psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs mean. I'll just give you a quick, simple thought. Psalms mean psalms. It's Old Testament psalms that are included for us in the Word of God. Hymns can mean psalms, but they don't have to mean psalms. It could also be some of the hymns that we find in the New Testament, the Christ hymn that we saw in Colossians chapter 1. And then spiritual songs might be a version of the songs that we sing inspired by, not in terms of revelation, but, but fueled by the Spirit as we celebrate Jesus. Paul's telling us to do this. It's a command. Because when we sing, we are, as a friend of mine says, putting wings to our words. It's a command. It's a command to hang on to the word with everything we've got and to do so corporately. 
Because word-centered worship fuels our individual and collective growth in Christ-likeness. It's the very heart of our union in Christ. Do not forsake it. Brothers and sisters, do not forsake corporate worship. It is how we put on Christ-likeness. It is how we become what Jesus Christ has already declared us to be. So we've heard what to put on. We've heard how to put on Christ-likeness and now why? So that we might lift up Christ in all. He tells us in verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is another imperative in a passage filled with imperatives. But this one, This one points to the heart behind all the rest of the imperatives. It's to glorify God. It's to glorify God. Do you know that Johann Sebastian Bach, at the end of every piece, music that he wrote, wrote three initials. S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. For the glory of God alone. Whatever you do, brothers and sisters, in word or deed, do all for the glory of God in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of is a phrase that we throw around quite a bit, but what do we mean when we say in the name of? In the name of Jesus means that whatever we do, we do in prayerful union, relationship with Jesus. It means that whatever we do in word or deed, we do in harmony with His will, as best we understand it from the Word of God. Whatever we do in word or deed, we do in submission to His authority. And finally, whatever we do in word or deed, we do in full dependence upon His power through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And when we do whatever we do, In word or deed, with his heart, we lift up Christ. We shine the spotlight of glory on him and we tether our safety line to him. It's easy to say, but it's helpful again to think about how often we fall short. So let me go first. Let me offer a confession. Confession, particularly in light of this call to put on Christ and put off self. I've I've come to sadly recognize something about the voices that I listen to. In counseling sessions, oftentimes I will be intently other-focused, trying to care well for the person in front of me by listening and bringing Christ to bear, but somewhere in the conversation, a little whisper will come into my ear, and that whisper is Satan saying, good job, James. And then I'll think to myself, you know, you're right. I am doing a good job. And the hook is set. And when that hook is set, I lose my focus on prayer. I begin to offer my gifts 
not Jesus Christ. I begin to do things my way so that people will think well of me. What began as Soli Deo Gloria with an other focus quickly turned into self-promotion. And by the time I realize what's going on in my heart, I'm a long way down the road of self. Having long since forgotten my union in Christ. That's my confession. What's yours? Because I know, I know I'm not alone. So wherever that takes you, know that when we find ourselves down this road of self, we're left with two options when we realize what is going on. Those two options are despair or repentance. When I stay in despair, it keeps me going down that road of self. But repentance, beautiful, spoken, heartfelt repentance turns me around on that path and turns me back to Christ. It brings me back to dependence upon Christ. It brings me back to joy in Christ. It brings me back to life in Christ. Friends, this struggle is real for all of us, but it's real in different ways. We run down the path of self sometimes because our motivations have run amok. Sometimes it's because our schedules are dominated by self. Far too often we put off Christ and Christ-likeness in favor of putting on self and self-centeredness. So how do we recapture union in Christ and unity in the body. Rooted in word and worship, we must find space for margin. Do you know what margin is? Margin is this section of the book, the, the white section, where there are no words or, or there are no pictures. Some of us like to write in that margin to take notes. Margin in our lives is essentially the same thing. It's the blank space on the calendar or in our hearts, but it's not empty space. It's free space. It's space to contemplate Christ. It's space to meditate on our union in Christ. But as I offer this call to find margin in our lives, many of us are tempted to find that margin for self. But in the context of this passage, in the context of what Paul is telling us to do corporately, to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, he's telling us to find margin for the body of Christ. To find margin in our lives for others. So that with others, corporately, we might teach and admonish and sing together. Make margin for that. Make margin in your life to lift up Christ. It's a struggle because for many of us, self is all we've known. And we tend to stick to the old ways. So hence Paul's reminder, 
put off the old, put on the new. I began by talking about the clothing choices of young men. (laughs) And the temptation, the tendency to wear clothes that don't fit. We have to be told what fits. We have to be trained. We have to be trained to, to buy the right kind of clothes. But I've learned that there's another danger with young men and their wardrobes. Recently, one of my sons uh, asked me to go up to his room to find something for him. So I went up to his room and began rummaging through his clothes. And as I did so, uh, it, it, was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, I found something. I found new clothes with the tags still on them. Just left there, not being worn. Because you see, my son... He's satisfied with what he has. He has a loving family that knows, at least his mother knows, how to buy clothes that fit. But at some point, you have to actually wear them. You have to take the tag off. And with a heart of thanksgiving, you got to put them on. As believers, we've got to do the same thing. We've got to learn what clothes actually fit, and then we've got to actually put them on. Friends, the Word tells us what fits. The Word tells us that Christ-likeness fits because Jesus is clothed in His perfect robe of righteousness because the Lord our God has loved us from before the beginning of time. And it drives us, it draws us into thankfulness, to thanksgiving. That is the Christian life, a life of thanksgiving and joy for all that we get to enjoy in Christ. But it's an invitation to, a call to, a life of intentionality, a life of growing into the identity that has already been graciously given to us in Christ. Friends, this is how we live in union with Him. And we need the body of Christ to do that. So together, let's teach one another. Together, let's admonish one another. And together, let's sing the praises of Jesus Christ together. And through it all, maybe the old will go away. And maybe we'll put on the new. All in the name of and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you are all glorious. Continue revealing yourself to us corporately in this body that we might know you, that we might love you, that we might learn to love one another better and that watching world would wonder, what is this about this people? I pray we'll know that it's you. In your name we pray. Amen.